Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. The scripture reading today is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 to 14. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of these peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is the reading of the word of God. Please be seated. You know, it's amazing, actually. Uh, As we look through the story of the Bible, one of the most common promises in Scripture is God saying to us, I will be with you. It's often associated with the phrase, don't be afraid, I'll be with you. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah wrote, and he was communicating God's word to his people. And in Isaiah chapter 43, God is speaking to his people, and it's at a time when the people of Israel are particularly rebellious and turning away from him, worshiping other gods, and yet God is saying to his people, I love you, you're my people don't be afraid when you, when you pass through the waters, when you go through the difficult seasons of life, I'll be with you. When, you. when you even go through the fire, I'll be with you. Know that you're my people and know that I love you. We can turn to the New Testament and we think of the story of Jesus. And of course, Jesus was right here in person with his people. But just as he was getting ready to leave the earth, the Gospel of Matthew records for us that one of the, the last sayings of Jesus before he left this earth, was gathering his disciples together, commissioning them to go and make disciples. But what does he say to them? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can forget that this is true. 
Perhaps in part, it's like Douglas shared with us, it's because we can't see God with our physical eyes and it's easy to get distracted in this world. When things are going well, I can get so caught up in having fun and enjoying the good things of life that I forget that actually it was, it was God who, who gives all good gifts. It's God who gives me breath to enjoy this life. And I can forget in the good times that God is there. When, t- when things are difficult, equally, I can forget as I'm trying really hard just to put one foot ahead of another on those very difficult days, I can forget this promise that God is actually right here with me at every one of those steps. So, our main goal this morning is to remember to remember. And my goal is to remind us to remember. It's so easy to forget. We've just come through the celebration of Christmas, and at the heart of the celebration of Christmas is this God who is Emmanuel, who is what? Who is God with us, yeah? God with us. But now it's Boxing Day, and next Sunday is going to be next year. And next year is going to come upon us, and we're going to enter into life And it's just so easy for us to get caught up in life, either with its difficulties and challenges or with its pleasures, and just to forget that every day and every hour, the God who created us, the God who rescued us and brought us into his family is with us every day, every moment of every day. A few minutes ago, uh, Al read from one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, and I'd like us to spend a little time in Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy is, is written by Moses, and Moses is an old man when he's, when he's writing this, and the book really what it records is, is speeches given by Moses as an old man to the people of Israel. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we heard that Moses really is one of the greatest leaders and most revered characters in the whole story of the Bible. It's really amazing as you look at the character of Moses and how important he is in the whole story of the Bible. It was Moses who who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. It was Moses who talked with God face to face. God gave him his good law and Moses passed it on to the people. It was Moses who oversaw the building of the tabernacle where God lived among his people. And it was Moses who led the people through the wilderness for 40 years in in the face of much opposition. And it was Moses who was the faithful and humble leader through so much difficulty. And now he's an old man. Now he's an old man. He's about to die. And Deuteronomy are a series, is a series of his speeches that given to the people. So you can feel, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you feel the passion of Moses. You feel how urgent this message is. And one of Moses' main messages to the people is, guess what? Remember. Don't forget. So we read, for example, in verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, and you can feel again Moses' heart here, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget. You do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children 
after them. In this particular passage that we just read, this, this word remember is very common throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy, but there's two significant verses in this passage that we read, verse 7 and verse 8, that declare two privileges that the people of God have. And here they are. In verse 7, first of all, we have the privilege of nearness of God. God is near to his people. The second privilege we find in verse 8 is the privilege of righteous rules. I'd like us just to take a little time this morning to contemplate and really try to to zero our minds in on what exactly is Moses saying when he's talking about these particular privileges that the people of God have. Let's look at verse 7 first, the privilege of nearness. Look at what it says here. For what great nation is there, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him? Moses is saying God is near to his people. Now, in order to understand the privilege of that, in order for us to really value the privilege of God being near to his people, we have to first of all understand the reality of separation from God as we see it in the story of the Bible. So let's just take a moment. Just briefly, come back with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we won't turn there, we won't read it, but I just want to tell the story. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell the grand story of creation. God speaks everything into existence. He is the eternally existent, omnipotent, all-powerful God who speaks creation into existence, and at the pinnacle of creation on day 6, he creates humans, man and women, And he says he creates them in his image. And what does he do? He creates them for relationship. And so as you read through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we find is this amazing privilege. This is is God being near to his people. And it's it's really a a mind-blowing picture of an an infinite God who creates everything that we can imagine. You know that uh, one of the world's largest telescopes just went up yesterday or the day before, to explore the far reaches of the universe. Well, the God who spoke all of that into existence in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 comes down to this tiny little ball in the universe called Earth that's revolving around the sun, and and he he creates a garden, and he puts men and women in there, and then he comes, he comes for relationship. And the classic picture of relationship is this idea of God walking in the cool of the day and talking with Adam and Eve and just having this friendship. Isn't that astounding? The God of the universe creates us in his image. And what he wants is relationship with us. Well, it doesn't take very long in the story of the Bible that all things fall apart. We come to page 3 of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and what happens? What happens? The, the, the devil comes in in the form of the serpent, the tempter, and he tempts the humans to cause them to doubt God's word, and he causes them to turn away, and instead of trusting God and receiving life as God has given, the, has given it to them, He tempts them to turn away from God and to reach out and grasp life for themselves, to determine for themselves what they want to do, what's right, what's wrong. And as soon as they did that, darkness descended in the human heart and evil entered the human heart. We became selfish. We turned away from God and followed our own way. And whenever, as soon as that happened, 
sin entered into the world. And what happened? This intimate relationship of friendship with God was broken. Humans are now not allowed in the presence of God. They are, they are because they are full of impurity, they're full of sin, and God is described as a God who is holy. What does the holiness of God look like? The holiness of God is described as a bright light, kind of like the sun that is so bright and so powerful that anything impure in the holy presence of God is burned up in an instant. And so, of course, impure humans cannot exist any longer in the presence of a holy God. And so humans are separated from God forever. Well, that's only on page three of the Bible. So what's the rest of the story of the Bible about? And here's the beautiful thing about the story of the Bible, because all of the rest of the story of the Bible is about God initiating and beginning to setting in motion a rescue operation so that humans who have been separated from God might be restored to the relationship with God, this relationship of friendship that he planned right way back there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. A huge price would have to be paid, of course, and as we come through to the center point of the Bible and we see Jesus is the main character of the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of rescue, Jesus is that main character who comes and pays the price to make it possible for humans to have this restored relationship with God. Well, our story today, let's get a picture of where it comes from. So we're not very far into the story of the Bible. We're just in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4. But what I want to notice here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is that God's plan of rescue is already being set in motion. It's already set in motion. Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And through that nation, I am going to bless all of the nations of the world. World. And we need to, to recognize the significance of what God is doing here because this is the, the foundational piece of the story of the Bible, which is a story of restoration and reconciliation. This family of Abraham becomes big, and we step forward to Exodus chapter 1. And what do we find in Exodus chapter 1? Abraham's family has grown to a nation of a couple million people, but they're slaves in Egypt. And Moses this character that we're looking at this morning. Moses is raised up as a leader, and he's a leader who's going to rescue the people. Moses comes as a rescuer to bring the people out of Egypt under the power of God. And Moses really becomes a rescuer who is really a foreshadowing of the ultimate rescuer, Jesus, who, who, who really accomplishes the, the ultimate salvation for us. But Moses... Moses leads the people and he takes them up to Mount Sinai and here's what happens at Mount Sinai. This God who is very distant from people because men are sin, people are sinful and God is holy. People will be burned up in the presence of God because of their sin. What happens through Moses at Mount Sinai, Sinai is that God comes close to this family that he's chosen. God comes near. What is this nearness that Moses is talking about look like. Let's look at a picture. I think it will help us to imagine it a little better. If you read through the story of Exodus, you see God giving Moses this instruction for how to build this tabernacle. And here, I don't know if you can see it well, but these are all the tents of the people. The different tribes are, are living all around this structure that's called the tabernacle. 
very specific instructions given by God on how to build it. But let me ask you the question, where is God in this picture? Where is God in this picture? And here's such an amazing truth of the Old Testament section of the Bible is that God has come to live close to his people because right under this cloud, right under this cloud, there's a cubic space, an exact cubic space in the backside of that tabernacle that's called the most holy place. And God has come to live close to his people. God who lives in unapproachable light, as Peter describes, that same God has come to live close to his people. Are these people who are here, are they still sinful? They are still sinful. And yet God has chosen to come and live close to his people. If we really grasp the intensity of the light that is the holiness of God, what we would expect is that all of these people would be immediately wiped out. Right? Because God's holiness is so powerful and so pure, and these people are so impure, and yet God has chosen to come and live close to his people. My friends, I want us to look at this picture and to think about this as the grace of God. God has chosen to come and live close to his people. Under normal circumstances, we would expect them all to be burned up, Because God is so close. And yet there he is just beyond the tent in that space. No one could go into that space except the high priest and that only only once per year. But here is God living right among his people. And what does God do as he's living among his people? It is God's presence that leads the people. So the people for 40 years as they were wandering through the desert... They followed. Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. It was a pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud in the day. But God was leading them through the desert. It was God who provided for them, miraculously provided the food, provided them their clothes miraculously so that they didn't wear out for 40 years, provided for them water. And so it's, it's, it's an amazing picture of grace that God has come close to live among his people. And so Moses says, as we saw before, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it? Moses is saying to these people, my people, don't ever forget the privilege that we have of God being in our camp. He's right here. He's right here. This was an amazing privilege for the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I don't know how you measure privilege exactly, but let's say it's a privilege that's this big for the sake of argument. It's it's a privilege that's this big. It's, It's a big privilege that these people have to be near God. But I want us to pay attention to the fact in the grand story of Scripture that the privilege that we have to be near God makes this privilege look like nothing. Because the privilege we have is immensely bigger. So fast forward 1,300 years or so, and what what story do we come to? Well, we come to the story of Christmas. And we've been looking at this verse for uh, the last number of weeks. But here's here's what happened at Christmas. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we find 
The word became flesh. What is this? This is, this is the same infinite God of the universe who created everything, spoke everything into existence. This God becomes human and he comes close to us. And he made his dwelling, and that word is tabernacled, right? So get the picture here. In, in Deuteronomy, God's hot spot, the hot spot of God's presence was right there in the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. Where is the hot spot of God's presence now when Jesus is on earth? Well, John says, we beheld his glory, right? So now the hot spot of God's presence is in Jesus because God has become human. And so as Jesus lives and teaches, he is the presence of God on earth. And, and uh, Jesus came as the rescuer, as we said. He is the one who came to accomplish the ultimate work of salvation. But Jesus only lived on this earth for, what, 33 years or so. And Jesus is going to then return to his Father. So the question that I have for you now is... Where is the hot spot of God's presence today? Let's go back and review. In in Deuteronomy, the hot spot of God's presence was the tabernacle, that most holy place where God lived. When Jesus came into the world, the hot spot of God's presence on earth was in Jesus, right? Now Jesus leaves the earth, and now where is the hot spot of God's presence It's a remarkable truth of Scripture that sometimes we undervalue. Let me take you to John chapter 14. These are some of Jesus' words to his friends just before he was to go to the cross. John chapter 14 verse 23 says this, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And take a look at this next phrase. We will come to them and make our home. With them. Isn't that astounding? We will come to them and make our home with them. This, is, this kind of language doesn't just take us back to the tabernacle where, the, where God was near his people in the middle of the camp. This takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? The, the garden where God was, was intimate relationship of friendship with, his, with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the language of intimate friendship. We will come, we will make our home with them. In the same chapter, John 14, Jesus goes on to say how that's going to happen more specifically. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. This is Jesus prophesying, speaking of what is coming and what he's speaking toward is Acts chapter two and that that, uh, landmark event that we call Pentecost. After Jesus had gone back up to his father, the spirit of God comes down and he comes to live miraculously in the heart of every person who calls on the name of Jesus. The hotspot of God's presence is right here. It's right here. It's a, it's, an, it's a fascinating and miraculous truth of Scripture that we can easily, easily miss and forget. While Paul goes on in his letters as we go through the rest of the story of the New Testament to describe how we, our bodies, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that our bodies are now the temple, 
the dwelling place of God. He goes, Peter, Peter describes it this way, that we're like living stones who are built together. We who are followers of Jesus together, we become the church. And as living stones, we are built together to be a place where God lives on earth. My friends, our privilege of nearness is far and away greater than the kind of nearness that Moses and the people of Israel experience before Jesus came. So we need to ask the question, how should we respond to such a privilege as this? And I love the words of the writer of Hebrews. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter where? What is this most holy place that the writer of Hebrews talks about? It's that cubic space in the tabernacle that no one could get into because... Impure people cannot go into that holy place. But look, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how? It's only by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. You see, in the tabernacle, the curtain separated sinful people from a holy God. That curtain has been taken down by Jesus, paid for by Jesus. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, how should we respond? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What an amazing privilege we have. The presence of God is right here. And together as we gather, the presence of God is right here, not because of the building, but because we are the temple. We are the house where God lives. And yet, just as Douglas reminded us earlier, it's pretty easy to forget that privilege. So let's remember to remember that God is with us, in us, because of the work of Jesus. Well, we have this privilege of nearness. But there's a second privilege that God, Moses goes on to talk about in verse 8 here, and that's the privilege of righteous rules. Look at verse 8. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Now, we need to ask some questions about this, because I don't know about you, I don't always look at rules with favor. Um, Who here likes rules and regulations? Okay, thanks for being honest about that. (laughs) I mean, we do, right? In some cases, we do. Depends, right? It depends. If you ask the question, are rules good or are they bad? Well, it depends quite a lot, doesn't it? There's all kinds of different examples of rules. Let me talk about my growing up household. My growing up household had rules. Maybe your growing up household has rules, too. But when one of the rules in my house was that I had to dry the dishes while my sister washed the dishes. I didn't really like that rule. On my mature 10-year-old perspective, I thought it was a little unfair because I wanted to be out playing soccer with my friends in the field across the street. But rules, yeah, sometimes we feel like rules impinge on our freedom, right? That's how we look at rules. But there's other contexts in which we can look at rules and find that actually they give freedom. 
So let's think about soccer for a minute, the game soccer. Let's say you want to go and play a game of soccer with your friends. Are the rules of soccer good or bad in this instance? Eh, they're pretty good, actually, aren't they? I mean, let's imagine that one of your friends is, is, is dribbling the ball here, and he's having trouble with his footwork, so he decides, well, I'm just going to pick up the ball and run to the other end, get close to the goal, put it down, and kick it in. Well, that's actually against the rules, right? And that rule is good because it keeps the game a game, right? Or let's imagine someone's really good at dribbling and they decide, okay, I'm really good at dribbling this ball. I'm just, I'm just going to keep it. And they, they, just, they just dribble around all the players and they go out of bounds and they just keep going and keep going and they're in the next field and over there. You can call that some kind of a game, but you can't call it soccer, right? Here's the thing about soccer rules The rules of soccer give you the freedom to enjoy soccer. And it seems to me that what Moses is saying to the people, these laws that God has given to us are the rules of life. And they give you the freedom to enjoy life. And so we come back to the verse, what great nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. The righteous laws that Moses is talking about here are the laws that God gave to Israel as they were camped to Mount Mount Sinai for a whole year. And for those people at that time, these these rules that were given to the people were life-giving. They gave them a framework to know how to live in community. After all, this is a a rabble of 2,000 or 2 million people or so who haven't really learned how to live together. They've just come out of slavery, and God is giving them instructions on how to live together, how to love God, how to love people, how to care for people, how to have justice in their community. And these laws gave them freedom to live together in peace and harmony. And so Moses is reminding the people as an old man, he says, don't ever forget that God has given us these righteous rules, these righteous laws. I want to suggest to you that just as the privilege of nearness for the people of Israel was this big and ours is this big, the privilege of righteous rules that the people of Israel had is this big, and the privilege we have of God's instructions for life are even bigger because we have the privilege of the whole counsel of God in our hands. We have the beautiful privilege of historical perspective, the whole story of Jesus, the instructions from the apostles, how should we live in relationship with Jesus once we receive this gift of life. And there are so many places in Scripture that we can turn to to that describe for us and hold up the value of the word that God has spoken to us to instruct us in how to live. Let's just go through a few of those. A couple from the Old Testament, a couple from the New Testament. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, 7 and 9 say this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The rules of the Lord are true. And they're righteous altogether. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. We skip over to the New Testament and we see James, the brother of Jesus, writing. And he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that does what? The perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard and doing it. They will be blessed by what they do. 
And Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. We have this amazing privilege of the whole counsel of God in our hands. So we have these two privileges from Moses, the privilege of nearness and the privilege of righteous rules. And before we go on, if we could go to the next slide, please. Before we go on, I want us to just pay attention to the relationship between these two privileges. And I want to suggest to you, it's, it's, this, this is an extremely important observation to note uh, about the relationship between these two privileges that God has given. Here's a common misunderstanding of Christian faith. A common misunderstanding of Christian faith is that we start at the bottom and we work up. In other words, we, we pay attention to the rules that God has given us and somehow we try to become better and once we become better, then we receive the benefit of the presence of God. The story of the Bible, my friends, is completely upside down from that. The presence of God, the story of the Bible tells us that the presence of God is nothing that we can earn. We can never become good enough to earn the presence of God, to come close to God. We can never do that. The presence of God is always given as a gift. It's always a gift to be received. It can never be earned by good behavior. Think back even to the Exodus story. It's God who miraculously rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, brings them to Mount Sinai. Now it's the rescue has been done. And then as, as they are there already, the rescued people of God, then God says to them, I am the God who rescued you and brought you out of Egypt. Now, do you know how to live in my presence? Do you know how to live together under the leadership of me? This is how you do it. And God gave them that list of rules and regulations. Similarly for us, we can do, never do anything to earn God's presence. We can only receive it as a gift. And how do we do it? We do it by believing and receiving. John chapter 1 verse 12, to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians tells us it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can, can boast. We receive the presence of God simply as a gift by faith in Jesus because Jesus has accomplished the great work of rescue. But once we've received this gift of the presence of God, God has given us this whole counsel of Scripture so that we may dive into it, so that we may live into it, so that we may absorb it, so it may de determine how we choose to live and the choices we make day by day. This is the good God who rescued us. Well, we have these amazing privileges. I want to ask this question. How does this text invite us to respond? How does it invite us to respond, especially on this very last day of 2021? I invite you this morning to look back over 2021. God is with us. Look back over this year. Think back. Take some time to just ponder and meditate. Look back over the year. Where were those moments where you really sensed God's presence in your life? Where were those, presence, those times when you felt he was absent? 
And how can, how can we, as Douglas was teaching us earlier, how can we pay attention and remember that whether we feel it or not, the presence of God is with us if we have received this gift of eternal life? And where in past, in, in 2021, where have you found value in the reading of God's word? What has God taught you through his righteous rules, his righteous laws that we find written here? Well, then we look forward to 2022. And let me urge us this morning to remember to remember. Let me urge us this morning to be attentive to the nearness of God, to the the presence of God within us. And how do we do that? Let me encourage us to to practice good spiritual habits, to practice being in the presence of God every day. And however you do that, practice being in his presence. And then be intentional to hear and to understand, wrestle with Scripture, dig deeply in it. Let it inform you more and more and more. Let it form you more and more into the image of Jesus. Because we have this amazing, amazing privilege. It's the privilege of presence, which is a gift from God. And it's the privilege of God's righteous instructions so that we may know how to live with him, how to walk with him, how to love him wholeheartedly, and how to love each other as we love ourselves. This, Jesus says, is the heart and soul of God's instruction to us. Would you join me in prayer as we look forward to this next year? And uh, let's ask God to really just pay attention to these words so that we may uh, be close to him. God, our Father, humbly we come into your presence today. We're so grateful for this passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for these questions that he's raised. Lord, help us to value, to be attentive to the reality of your presence within us. Lord, that's such an astounding concept. Help us never to take it for granted. Help us never to be distracted. Help us to live in your presence. And help us to remind each other as we come together as your people, as friends, help us to remind each other that God is in us and that together we're living stones are built into this house where God lives on this earth and help the glory of Jesus to be known through our relationships together. And I pray, Father, that you will also help us to pay attention to your holy word this morning. As we go through this year, help us to develop habits that will take us deep into your word. And as we go deep into your word, help us to see your glory and to reflect your glory in the way that we live. Thank you, Jesus. You paid the ultimate price so that we could have this restoration of relationship that you so long for and that we so desperately need. 
I pray for anyone this morning who maybe doesn't know you, doesn't have that restoration of relationship. Help them to believe and receive. Help them to repent and to turn and receive this gift of presence, this gift of the presence of God within them, the gift of forgiveness for sin, the gift of life. We love you, Lord. We thank you. You're so awesome. Help us to love you well as we go into 2022 and help us help one another to remember. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.